Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Marriage Podcast. I'm Carrie Cohen, your host, and I am a wife, a mom, relationship strategist, and have been practicing as a psychotherapist for over 25 years. Consider this your new home for real, honest talk that you can only get in a therapy session until now. I'm here to empower you to create a marriage that fills you up from the inside out. And my goal is to share insights that resonate with you and create the kind of aha moments you need for deepening your connection with your partner. I have worked with hundreds and hundreds of couples just like you, and I'm going to show you that Checking a box. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Midlife Marriage Podcast. So today I am talking about a pretty significant topic, one that comes up a lot. I get a lot of people asking me about this on my social media channels, and it's can you come back from an affair? And I want to talk about this topic because I think that if you Google this, you might get a lot of mixed information. And I have worked with gosh, lots and lots of couples over the years who come to me after an affair wanting to see if it's possible to salvage their relationship, which is actually one of the first pieces of work that we, we open up. So I'm going to talk a little bit about kind of just understanding the impact that infidelity has on your marriage and then some ways to start rebuilding trust and intimacy. And then sort of, do you stay or do you go? Because that's oftentimes the question with couples. And we'll see what you think at the end of this episode, what your response is to the question, can you come back after an affair? And I'll, I'll sort of give you mine a little bit more directly at that point. So let's dive in. All right. So when we think about the impact of an affair, it, it, it affects many facets of your being. So, so first let's talk about the emotional fallout that happens, okay? When you first discover that there's been an affair in your marriage, that your partner has an affair, either they told you or you saw something on their phone or you found a receipt and then you started doing some digging, you are going to be in shock, that's going to be the first, like, like speechless, like, like what, what is go, like what is going on? You might even have some physical sensations, like a massive pit in your stomach, sick to your stomach, lightheaded, dizzy, feeling like you're going to faint. It'll be really, really powerful. Okay, then you might become really hysterical, like agonizing in painful crying like can't catch your breath hysterical because the reality of this is is so shocking that you 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 just can't even you, you can't even make sense of it you are in such agonizing pain and then the next place that you might go to is anger and rage betrayal so my point here is that when you first find out about an affair, you're going to be on the most wildest roller coaster ride ever. Now, I promise you, it, you'll get off that ride. But when you first find out, that is how it's going to feel. 
you're going to ask yourself, how did this happen? How does this my life? Is this true? How did I miss this? What's going on? Why did they do this? What did I do? Just the questions are, are going to be just firing at yourself in your mind. And much of this really mirrors the grief process with the first stage of grief being denial. And denial in this way manifests like, how, how could this be? Like, is this true? And then you're going to want to get all of the answers. You're going to start doing a lot of research and digging. Maybe you're going to talk to your spouse first, but maybe not. Maybe you're going to do your own digging. And you'll have moments where you'll forget that this is what has happened. And I say forget in quotes. <clears throat> and then you're going to remember and you're going to feel all those feelings again. And this is the way that denial manifests. It's a, in this way, denial is self-protective mechanism. It's protecting you from the incredibly overwhelming feelings that you're having. The next stage of grief is anger. And, and just keeping in mind that, that the stages of grief, they're not linear. You go through all of them round and round at a deeper and deeper level. And so, so denial, anger... After that's bargaining, what did I do? How could I have missed this? Could I have stopped this? What, what should I have done differently? And then sadness, depression, you sort of sink into that. And ultimately, the ultimate resolution of grief is acceptance of what is acceptance of the reality and hope for the future. So oftentimes when couples come to me, they're cycling through all of these feelings and they're moving into this acceptance the first layer, I must tell you, of acceptance. Like, all right, well, this is the reality. Now what are we going to do about this? And so you might be surprised to know that many couples who do this work, who really, really, truly are committed and invested in working through the aftermath of an affair, they actually come out stronger on the other side. They come out with a different relationship one that's better than the one that they actually started with because they're doing work that they never knew that they needed to do. So it's better, it's deeper, it's more meaningful. Yes, you now have this fracture of trust that you're working through. And of course you would have wished that it didn't take this to get to where you are. But it is, it is very possible. So if we go back to my question, can you come back after an affair? I say yes, it's possible. It depends, but yes, it's possible. And I don't really believe that this work can be done without working with someone who is very, very seasoned and experienced in working with lots of couples and working with lots of couples after there has been an affair. So let's talk about the trust, that ha the trust erosion. So as you know, if you're in a marriage, trust is the most fundamental element of any relationship. And of course, infidelity erodes that. Now you're questioning things you've never questioned before. You're wondering things you never wondered before. You're thinking things you never thought before. And that's really hard. So taking time to rebuild the trust, it really does take time. And I'm going to talk a little bit about this throughout this podcast episode is just really what are some of the things that you can do. And I'll get into that in a, in a, in a moment. The other, the other place that it, it really sort of impacts is, is sort of just your, the reactions you're having and the way that you're coping. Because you feel like you're not coping. Maybe you're not sleeping. You're not eating. You probably have high levels of anxiety. These panic attacks, they're coming out of nowhere because your system is in fight-flight mode and the affair is the threat. So sometimes we go into fight-flight at a perceived threat, but the affair is the threat. 
So you're triggered into this state a lot and you won't even know the thoughts that got you there because it's happening from the body up, not from the mind down. Sometimes you might have a thought. The thought might be, what if this doesn't work? And then instantly you feel it in your body. Your heart starts to race. You get that terrible pit in your stomach. You start to feel sick, nauseous, lightheaded, and you start hyperventilating. I teach all of my clients who come to me how to start to regulate their emotions using body-based strategies. And I encourage them all to adopt a practice of nervous system regulation because for much of this, you can't talk your mind out of these thoughts because they're body-based feelings. They're visceral. And when you're in survival mode and you're having these visceral feelings in your body, you need body-based coping strategies. Things like yoga, breath work, sensory experiences, lighting a candle, putting on music, doing guided meditations, walking, exercise. You need body-based strategies in order to address that. So how do we start to then rebuild the trust and recover from this? There's a couple things that need to happen right off the bat, and this is what I talk with my clients about right off the bat, is the spouse who had the affair must take responsibility for their actions. That's number one. Regardless of why, and we get into that, we get into the sort of the pre-affair state of the marriage, but, but the spouse who had the affair still must take responsibility for stepping outside of the marriage and creating a betrayal. And that spouse must also be willing to take such radical accountability Things like full disclosure and transparency. What I say to couples is answering questions before they're asked. Giving your partner more information than they need so that they never have to wonder. They don't have to ask. They don't have to say, oh, where did you say you were going? Because there is a hint of mistrust in that. And we don't even want them to have to feel that again. So we want you to say, hey, by the way, I'm heading here and then I'm going here and then I'm going there. I'm, I'm assuming I'll be about you know, 30 minutes here, 40 minutes there, and 20 minutes here. I'll probably be back in two hours. If I'm not, I'll let you know. Now that can feel like oversharing, and it is, because once there's been a major breach in trust, you really have to share. It is important. And some partners say, I just can't do that. I can't live my life like that. I can't do that. And that is absolutely your choice and your prerogative. And if you're going to work through an affair, then this is really what's going to be needed. Sharing the passwords to your email, to your phone, full, full exploration of your phone. So my husband and I, we have a, a shared password vault. We know each other's phone passwords. We can see each other's stuff. We don't look because we don't have a reason to. But if we did, we would, and we could. And so if I sometimes see my husband's phone and a text lights up and I'll, I'll just look at it just because it catches my eye and I'll think, oh, that's his sister, or, oh, that's his friend, and I'll say, hey, babe, so-and-so. But if you are mistrusting, you're going to be looking at that, you're going to be reading it, and you're going to be going through it. And so I say put boundaries around this. And a lot of times what I say to couples is if you're having, if you're working with someone, let's create some boundaries around the sharing. 
we don't want that to become your entire relationship where all you're doing is going through your your partner's phone and their email and combing through the archives and all of that. We want to put boundaries around that. We want to create structure around that. We want you to start to feel safe again. We want to make use of that therapeutically. And for the other partner, the one who, whose trust was broken from the affair, the challenge for them is giving their partner the benefit of the doubt. So when their partner says what they're doing, they have to really trust that that's what they're doing and not second-guessing and saying, are you sure you told me X, but now you're saying Y? Because what happens is, is then you get in this cycle of second-guessing and questioning, and now you're nagging, and now we're creating another dynamic that is going to layer on top of the one that's already there, which is the affair, which is already layering on top of the issues that were there before. So accountability to each other and to yourself is what is also going to contribute to rebuilding trust along with transparency, full disclosure, and giving the benefit of the doubt. So what place does forgiveness have here? I don't talk a ton about forgiveness, like as a standalone, but I would say in, in affairs, there is a place for it. And it's possible. So the person who had the affair actually does need to forgive themselves. Oftentimes the person who had the affair, they feel self-hatred, they feel self-loathing, they feel disgusted by themselves. They have so many negative feelings about themselves. You really have to come to terms with the fact that you're human and humans make mistakes. And so forgiving yourself is very important. And the person who was cheated on, it's important that you come to a place where you can forgive your partner. Now, I don't spend time on this directly in the therapy. It ends up becoming a byproduct of the work we do that as the trust starts to come back and as you start to reconnect emotionally and start to feel safer in your relationship, the forgiveness starts to bloom and flourish. And we do need to forgive people for mistakes. So it comes with time. Be patient with that. I trust that that is a byproduct of the work that we do. But it is important. Forgive yourself and the other. So how do we reconnect emotionally and intimately? So I'm going to link below my Marriage Reconnection Toolkit. I give you eight strategies in there to start reconnecting emotionally. And so there's things that I want you to start doing if you're in this place so that you can begin if you're doing this on your own. They're easy strategies that you can implement and I just want you to be sure that you are using open communication, allowing yourselves to go to those vulnerable places because this is a very vulnerable experience for both of you, trying really hard to listen without judgment or criticism. And so you're going to, as you reconnect emotionally, you're going to take baby steps. I want you to think about it as baby steps. And one step at a time, one day at a time. The moment you start to think about, oh my gosh, how is this going to look in six months? What am I going to do? The fear is going to set in. Your body is going to go into fight flight because you're going to feel that intense, intense terror and fear. And then you're going to start to shut down because it feels too scary. So I really, really encourage people to stay present in the moment and just take one step at a time. It's also going to be important to start rebuilding your shared dreams because I imagine as a couple you had dreams together that you were thinking about. So I want you to revisit those, rebuild the shared dreams and the goals, how you want your relationship to look in the future. This is part of the work that we do together when I'm working with couples is 
really looking at your shared vision and your shared goals and are you still aligned and do those need to change and is there enough overlap and do we need to cultivate more of that? How do you want life to look when you're empty nesters? How do you want life to look in retirement? Or if you don't have kids yet, how do you want life to look if you still want kids? What do you want that to look like? And rekindling the physical intimacy. This is another step-by-step. So after an affair, couples might either swing to one end of the pendulum where the person who was cheated on wants to have lots of physical intimacy, lots of sex, because it's the only way that they could feel valued and reassured. Or they might swing to the other end where they're so disgusted by that, they can't even think about it. They don't want to be touched. Every time they're touched, all they could think about is how their partner was with somebody else. And they keep getting these flashbacks and intrusive thoughts. There's a bit of an acute traumatic stress reaction that can happen. So what I say to couples is trust your intuition, trust your gut. Take this really slowly, wherever you are. Take it really slowly. The rebuilding of the intimacy will also come as you rebuild the trust and the emotional connection and the safety in the relationship. And boundaries, as I mentioned before, setting boundaries around how much you talk about this, when you talk about this, where you talk about this, what it is that you want to know, what you don't want to know. And then healthy boundaries for the future about friendships with opposite sex, about how you all go about your relationships, things like that, relationships with others. Those are really important that you all agree on those. Can your partner have relationships, friendships with people of the opposite sex after this or not? Should you both not have those or is it just the one who cheated? How do you go about negotiating that? These are all conversations. Those come later though. And lastly, just thinking about do you stay or do you go? It's really important that both of you are assessing the relationship's viability. So when a couple comes to me to do the work and they say, I don't know if this can work. I mean, I get that because knowing if it can work is an intellectual exercise. But, but, but the, actual, the actual answer or conclusion to if this can work is really more of a felt experience. It's going to be, can I feel safe again? Can I feel trust again? That's a felt experience. It's not an intellectual experience. And so going through this process with a practitioner, going through the therapy is really a felt experience. And that's how you will come to know through your felt experience if this can work. And I always say to couples, it's really going to be about a four to six month period to know, to truly know in your mind, in your heart, in your soul, in your body, if you can make this work. So I suggest that if you're questioning that, commit to a piece of work to see if it's salvageable. And oftentimes there's a piece of individual growth and healing here. A lot of couples I work with are simultaneously doing individual work, either with me as part of the couple's work or with someone else. And it might be necessary for both to do that work. Now sometimes couples say, well, should I do that work first before doing the couple's work? Now, if your couple's in crisis because there's just been an affair, I say no, the couple work really needs to be a priority because the couple's in crisis. Yeah, the individual's in crisis too, but if the couple's in crisis, you want to really salvage that. You really can't put that off. You can get individual work done in a couple, but you're not going to really be able to get a ton of couples of post-affair work done in the individual work. So oftentimes, you're going to be doing both. And... 
As I said, I really do suggest that couples, particularly with this kind of work, because it's really complicated, it's very provoking, you're going to be navigating territory you've never navigated before, to really work with someone so that you can establish the safety that you need in order to be able to have the conversations that are going to be important to have to move through this process in your marriage. And remember, maintaining transparency. You also want to be able to maintain the work that you did post, post work. Like you want to maintain the work that you did in, with the work with a marriage therapist or coach. You want to maintain that work after you're done. And so keeping, keeping that going, keeping that up, and continuing to develop and strengthen your relationship after that. So that's all for this episode. And I encourage you to take with you what resonates and leave the rest. Not everything resonates for everyone, and that's okay. And if you like this episode, continue, consider sharing it with someone. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Midlife Marriage. If you liked this episode and if my mission and approach resonate with you, please subscribe to The Midlife Marriage on Apple Podcasts and feel free to leave a rating. Also, if you'd like to stay up to date on the groups and classes I'm hosting for couples just like you, please consider joining my mailing list and following me on Instagram. You can also check out my website where you can learn more about me, my practice, and what I offer.